Welcome to Achieve More, the High Performance Transformation Podcast, where I help people and teams overcome challenges and achieve peak potential using neuroscience and high performance skills, tools, and approaches. My name is Michael Shield. I'm a high performance coach and transformation consultant. I have over 22 years of experience coaching and consulting people, teams, and organizations to improve and achieve more with what they have. In each podcast, I focus on tactical, easy-to-use ways to help people and teams to find a compelling vision, overcome their challenges, and to create transformation plans so they can have the mindset, vision, habits, and skills to achieve higher performance in any aspect of their life. So today, I want to talk about burnout. As you learn in this podcast, if you don't already know, it hits just about everybody, and it's on the rise year over year, and it's got a really big impact on people's personal lives, our organizations, and frankly, society overall. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss how prevalent it is, we're going to discuss what it is, who gets impacted, how and why they get impacted, and what you can do about it. I want you to be a little bit patient because at the the point where we talk about why it happens and how it happens, I'm going to go into a little bit of the science behind it. It's kind of important because there are some consistent themes in the research on what burnout is, but it's not necessarily experienced the same for each person. There are different factors or circumstances that lead to burnout for each person, and even each person from time to time can have different causes for their burnout. Uh, And since you're going to have different causes different you're going to have slightly different paths to recovery so i think it's important to know what those causes are what the science is because it's going to become obvious to you at the end of this podcast when we talk about your action steps that you can take that it depends upon what causes it and i am going to give you some very tactical action steps that you can use yourself right after you listen to this podcast in case you've got burnout or you hit burnout sometime in your future which you probably will on what you can do about it Okay, so first I just want to touch on really quickly why is it important? Why even bother talking about this topic? Well, as I said before, it impacts your life, your team, your organization, and society as a whole. The World Economic Forum estimates burnout's global price tag at $322 billion. Crazy amounts of money. And that's the $322 billion impact. That's the amount of impact of lost work. That is the healthcare costs. All of those costs sort of put together. Uh, Stanford researchers looked into how workplace stress affects health costs and mortality in the United States. Uh, just in the United States alone, they found that it led to spending nearly $190 billion, um, roughly 8% of their national health care spending, and uh, burnout can lead to uh, nearly 120,000 deaths each year. Quite frankly, I think if anything that we're looking at leads to a death, that's an important thing to think about. And according to a recent WHO study, uh, their estimations, they, they, they put the cost of um, the lost productivity of the global workforce at about a trillion dollars. So depending upon which body you are, there's that's a huge impact. Personally, if you've ever been burned out, uh, and I have had periods where I felt burned out before, it has such a, a deleterious effect on, on your mindset, on your happiness levels, on everything. We're going to talk a little bit later about it, what it actually does physically to your body too, which is which is quite frankly pretty terrible. All right, I want to jump to prevalence. You know, who who gets hit, how do they get, uh, and and how often do they get hit? Uh, and here's the short strokes. Basically, it hits most of us at some point, regardless of age, gender, or background. Some of us, it hits a little bit more, depending upon actually your age, but regardless, everybody gets impacted. So uh, different polls, you can take a look. If you Google it, you'll find lots of different polls. Uh, here are the major themes. Number one, it impacts almost all of us. 
So depending upon the poll you look at, anywhere from 30% to 77% of respondents to surveys have felt burned out in the past year. So these are surveys that I have found that were just this year. Uh, in the past year, depending upon that survey, anywhere from 30%, 50%, 65%, up to 77% of respondents have felt burned out. This is, and I took a look at polls all over the world. We're talking in Europe, Asia, North America. I didn't see any from South America, but I'm sure the trends are the same down there. Uh, number two, it can happen continuously. So those same polls find that 23% to 30% of respondents reported feeling burned out at work very often or always. Uh, other polls show me that, uh, that people feel that they get burned out consistently year after year as well. Uh, number three, it's increasing over time. Uh, so one of those polls found that 65% of professionals are stressed out at work uh, more now than they were five years ago. So 65% people feel that they're more stressed out now than they were five years ago, and that's pre-pandemic. 80% of people believe, uh, and across various polls, 70 to 80% of people believe that COVID-19 has impacted workplace burnout. Number four, uh, all generations are impacted, though some more than others. So 53% of millennials are, were already burned out pre-pandemic, according to polls. They remain the most affected population, with 59% of millennials experiencing some sort of burnout today. Uh, Gen Z is neck and neck now, though. They're up at about 58% reported burnout, up from about 47%. And uh, older generations uh, have reported anywhere from 25 to 45% of them have reported burnout. So depending upon what your age is, there's a variety of different factors that lead to it. I'm not going to go into, uh, into this podcast why generations feel it differently. I just wanted to point out that regardless of your age, and actually surprisingly to me, the younger you are, uh, the more likely you are to feel burnout. Uh, the fifth thing I wanted to just say was, uh, in terms of prevalence, that some, some professions are hit worse than others, and this makes sense to me after you think about it for a little bit. People in careers focused on caregiving, so we're talking teachers, nurses, social workers, clinicians, uh, report the most prevalent rates of burnout. Uh, so as we talk about what it is, you'll see why that is. So it depends upon if you are in a profession that has a variety of the, the stressor factors that lead to burnout, you're more likely to have burnout. Okay, so let's jump to what is it? Uh, I think we all kind of know, generally speaking, what it is, but I just want to dive into it uh, a little bit more. It's considered a work-related syndrome that emerges in response to consistent chronic stress. It's a work-related syndrome that emerges in response to, to consistent and chronic stress. Though I will point out uh, several emerging studies are showing that although everybody seems to, previous studies seem to always relate it to work, there are other areas in your life where, where it, can, it can start to happen as well. It really depends. And as we take a look at the factors, you, you'll be able to figure out wh which part of your life is leading towards it. Really, there are three or four parts to officially having burnout. Everybody uses slightly different words, but these are exactly the same things across them. Uh, there's a loss of motivation. Number two, there's a depletion or loss of physical energy. Number three, a growing sense of emotional exhaustion. And four, cynicism. And cynicism really comes because of the others. So loss of motivation, a loss of physical energy, a growing sense of emotional exhaustion, exhaustion, and cynicism. And when it happens, you know, you could be formerly an idealistic worker where you're performing at a high level, but you find yourself depleted and weary, resenting your work, resenting your, your, your colleagues. And it's all of those things together really leads to burnout. Obviously, any one of those factors on their, their own can be pretty terrible, uh, but it's all of them together that officially combine to, to burnout. I will point out that uh, many studies point out the science is really uh, inconclusive on an exact pathway. There isn't an exact pathway, basically, at least we haven't found it yet. 
that, that there's no pathway that says that first you lose motivation, then you get exhausted, then you lose the other things. It's really, it's, it's, you get into a situation where all four of those characteristics come together. And I'll point out too that the, the, the sense of emotional exhaustion is also related to social distancing. So when you get, you've lost your motivation, you've lost your energy level, you've lost your interest and you're cynical, you also lose your social connection to the people around you. This can be family, this can be friends, this can be coworkers. So that's the flip side of the emotional exhaustion is a social detachment too. So I wanna jump into really quickly, before we talk about sort of what happens uh, or what you can do to, to fight that when that happens, I wanna talk about the physiological reasons for how it happens. And this is, the, this is where I'm gonna skim through a little bit of the science, a little bit of part of how, uh, how the brain works and how the body works for this, because it's important to understand those things before we talk about what you do to address it. So, uh, so first of all, I think there's three or four things I just wanna talk about really again at a high level uh, about how your brain works in burnout. Um, so first of all, we're going to talk about your HBA access. So something called your, your, your HBA access basically kicks into overdrive when you're in burnout. And your HBA access, that's an acronym really for your hypothalamus pituitary and adrenal gland. And it's an important connection in your body. It's an intricate but, but kind of robust and important neuroendocrine mechanism that it mediates the effects of stressors in your body uh, throughout, whether you're in overdrive or not, it, it's, it's always there and it's looking at it and regulates numerous physiological processes in your body, such as metabolism, immune responses, your autonomic nervous system, to help you deal with stressful situations. That HPA access, it secretes things called glucocorticoids, which act on your multiple organ systems and it redirects energy sources to the things you need. So in Lehman's terms, you've got a lion chasing you, that HPA axis is gonna kick in and some other things that we're about to talk about are gonna kick in. It's gonna help redirect, it's gonna help get some cortisol uh, into your system, it's gonna help get adrenaline into your system, it's gonna help reduce certain things like inflammation and other things in your body that you don't need when you're trying to run from a lion eating you. Uh, and that is an important regulatory function that your body needs to help you deal with stressful situations. But during the path to burnout, that HPA can go into overdrive, you know, because in a burnout situation, when you've got all these stressors coming at you, when you're at work, you've got an overload of things coming at you and you're feeling stressed out, your body interprets that, your mind interprets that as something stressful that's impacting you. We need to continually go into fight or flight mode. So that HPA can really go into overdrive, causing excess amounts of cortisol to be reduced over time. Studies have shown that that excess of cortisol over time damages your cells and your brain and your brain cells and your connectivity and a variety of other things. So that's number one. Number two, um, as you go into fight or flight mode to deal with stress, your amygdala and your sympathetic nervous system have more control over decision-making and it reduces your ability to do proactive uh, prefrontal cortex, the use of your prefrontal cortex to do that proactive executive thinking. So let's talk about that a little bit. Your sympathetic nervous system, you've got two sort of nervous systems, if you will. You've got your parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous system. That sympathetic nervous system is best known for its role in responding to dangerous or stressful situations. In those situations, that nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system activates, sort of gets, kicks into gear to speed up your heart rate, deliver more blood to areas of your body that need more oxygen and other responses to help you get out of danger. So it suppresses hunger so that you don't need to stop and eat it suppresses your, your desire to, to go to the bathroom. It does those things. So basically, if that lion is attacking you, like we talked about before, your sympathetic nervous system hit, kicks in, gives you more blood to your external extremities so you can run like hell, and it shuts down some of the other things, takes your blood away from some of the other areas 
like your brain and your and your stomach and the other and some of your other functions so that you can get the hell out of there. Now, we also talked about your amygdala. Your amygdala is part of your limbic system. It's sort of that lizard brain, if you will. The amygdala are two little uh, almond-shaped uh, parts of your brain just inside your temple. What your amygdala is, it's responsible for a variety of things, but one of the most important things it does is it takes a look at all the sensory things that come in, all the senses that come in, all the things that you're seeing and hearing and feeling and doing, and it, and it reviews them and decides, is this reward or risk? If it's reward, that's fine, then certain other body functions kick in to say, like you get some dopamine and things like that, that help you say, oh, this is rewarding, I wanna do more of it. But if it's a risk, uh, your amygdala helps to basically sort of kicks in a fight, that fight or flight mode that we talked about. It helps setting up the sympathetic nervous system and a variety of other things. So there's a number of your, your brain systems that come in. We know from, from many, many, many studies that when your amygdala goes into overdrive, it shuts down uh, the, the ability of your prefrontal cortex to think. And your prefrontal cortex is that beautiful area right behind your forehead that helps you to focus, to think at higher levels, to act appropriately, to do your higher executive thinking. When you're doing your critical thinking and you're, and you're really thinking through problems, that's your prefrontal cortex. And you, it's your prefrontal cortex that you want to do to do your, uh, your executive thinking, to do most of your thinking and planning. Your amygdala, some people call it the lizard brain, that sort of, that's part of your lizard brain that helps you sort of respond to, to basic functions in, in, in risk and reward and fight or flight things. But what happens is when your amygdala kicks over, it suppresses the ability for you to use your prefrontal cortex. In other words, it suppresses your ability to think clearly and at a high level. So to summarize, being consistently in an overstressed mode, uh, we have found from research it thins out your PFC and reduces your prefrontal cortex, reduces your ability to use it, which means your cognitive capacity is reduced. And over time, if you're consistently in a burnout mode or consistently in a stressed out mode, over time, your cognitive capacity will reduce. The parts of the brain that control memory and attention spans are weakened. So the connections between uh, your memory and how you use it from a, from a functioning perspective are weakened. Uh, the parts of your brain that control your circadian rhythm are impacted. So your ability to sleep, your ability to eat, uh, your ability to manage energy effectively are all impacted in a negative way. Your ability to focus is negatively impacted. And studies have shown that all of those things can cause damage to your cells, particularly your brain cells. It can damage your neural connectivity and it reduces your ability to remember properly. It reduces your ability to use your memories, which are really important for, for creative thinking. And overall, it reduces your cognitive functioning. All right, I wanna move on to when does burnout happen? So as you can probably guess, burnout emerges when the demands of a situation or a job outstrips a person's ability to cope with stress. I say both a situation and a job because again, most of the literature focuses on it being a job related thing. Uh, and that's really where the syndrome was, was found. But you can imagine this can occur, say in relationship perspective, uh, it, can, it can happen outside of your job. It can happen anywhere where the amount of stressors that come in are coming in at consistently, at a chronic level, and it outstrips your ability to cope with it over time. Over time, as the number of stress factors increase, Along with the intensity, your body goes into that stress management overdrive. It does it a little bit at first and then it continues to kick in over and over and over in time. And all of those physiological things that we talked about just happen. So you lose your ability to sleep properly, eat properly, focus, think clearly, and that puts you into a negative loop. That negative loop uh, starts, to do, starts to happen. So as you're sleeping poorly and as you're eating poorly, 
And as you're unable to recover from that, it leads to feeling like you want to eat more poorly and sleep less, et cetera. And it's a, it's a negative loop that sort of takes you in a downward spiral over time. So there are a number of factors that lead to that. And it's not just one thing. It's not just a stress factor. It is, uh, and it's different for each person and it's different over time. So a person can be, uh, can, can trigger burnout at one point in their life by, by a different set of factors than they can the next point in their life when they have burnout. So things like behavior, external events, your environmental context, your past experiences, your relationships with people around you, your sleep, your nutrition, and a whole bunch of other factors all come together. Your physiological, the way that your brain reacts to stress, the way that if you've done any mindfulness training and if you haven't, et cetera, like there's a whole bunch of different things that come together. So it's not always the same factors every single time. All right, now I want to jump into our action plan. I'm going to talk about three uh, preconditions or background factors to consider. Uh, and then I've got a three-step plan with a bunch of action items that you can pick and choose from depending upon what leads to your burnout. So those three preconditions we're talking about, uh, number one, Neuroscience research shows us that there's a homeostasis pattern that you need to maintain your regular functioning. So this is your regular brain-body connection that allows you to function properly throughout your day. If you deplete any of these five factors for, for homeostasis, then that can lead to overwhelm and eventually burnout. You need to maintain these for regular function, and you need to have these before you can even think about higher performance too. So what are those five areas? Number one, good sleep. And good sleep is defined as anything more than six hours, preferably 7.5 to 8 hours. Number two is maintaining mindfulness, good mindfulness practice. Number three is proper nutrition. Number four is movement. So that means not sitting down for eight hours a day, but getting up and moving around regularly. Then number five, over and above movement, is short bouts of intensive exercise. So high-intensity interval training is most effective, but some sort of exercise that stimulates your body. So that's good sleep mindfulness, nutrition, movement, and short bouts of intensive exercise. You need to maintain those to maintain a proper, proper body, brain, body connection functioning. Okay, number two sort of background condition to think about uh, is that generally speaking, uh, whatever you do when you're going to be uh, addressing, uh, addressing burnout it needs to counteract the spiral into continuous fight or flight mode that you have and reduce the reliance that your brain goes on on the sympathetic nervous system. So you need to reduce the, you know, whatever your actions are, you're gonna to want to reduce the levels of cortisol and adrenaline in the system. So those are the things that are leading towards the, the negative impacts, the deleterious impact on your cells and on your brain. You wanna reduce the use of your, your amygdala and your limbic system, that lizard system that people call it, in making decisions, you wanna reduce that. And you wanna increase the use of your, of your prefrontal cortex in a controlled proactive manner. All right, so from a background perspective, that's one, figure out what are the actions I need to do to be able to do those things. Number three, I just want to address that while there are medications that can help, most studies show that non-medical interventions that to changing your patterns of your life, to help deal with the stressors that are in your life, are more long-lasting and effective. Uh, so yes, if you work with your clinician or your physician, you can get medication to help, but really the most, uh, the most important thing that studies show time and time and time again is the non-medical interventions that you can take. So those are our three preconditions, thinking about your homeostasis, uh, that, you know, trying to, number two is uh, trying to get over your amygdala hijack and getting away from your limbic system, getting back to your prefrontal cortex and getting away from the reliance on cortisol and adrenaline. Then number three, making it a non-medical intervention. Okay, here's 
The basic action step to take is you need to stop at some point in time. So there's a three-step action plan you can take here. So number one, you want to take stock. Stop and think about it. There's a whole, I don't have time in this podcast to go through sort of the checklist, but if you know what those things are, you need to stop and take a look and see, hey, do I have, what is it about my life? What is it about the stressors that are, that are causing me uh, the ability to, to the, the inability to deal with it? Is it, is it external factors? Are there internal, are there things that I can control or the things that I can't control? What is it about that? So you need to take stock and figure out what are the factors that are leading to your burnout at this point in time. It's going to be a hard thing to do when you're deep diving into to burnout, but uh, taking stopping, taking a break, and thinking about what is it that's leading towards this? What are the factors that are leading towards that? Number two, once you determine what you're at, your what your what is impacting you, you can figure out uh, if you're in control of it or not, and what to do about it. So the number three is take that is is create a plan and use that the thing that I love to talk about, the plan, do, check, act, and do that continuous improvement over time. You take stock. Number two, you figure out if you can control it or not. And then number three, you create the action plan for introducing some of these things that I'm just about to talk about to help address it. Well, that's the sort of the three-step action plan that you want to do. Now, if you think about the factors that make up burnout, then the actions to address them make sense. And if you recall that the burnout is the loss of motivation, there's sort of three to four factors, the loss of motivation, the depletion or loss of physical energy, combined with a growing sense of emotional exhaustion. And it makes sense that you address the causes of those factors. So whatever leads to those things, that's what you need to address. It's not about the symptoms themselves, but it's the cause of those, those symptoms. And the solution isn't about getting rid of the stress factors, because quite frankly, you can't get rid of stress factors. In another podcast, I'll talk about how stress can actually be considered a good thing. What you want to do is figure out how can I, how can I effectively cohabitate with the stress and how can I deal with it effectively over time? And so I'm going to give you four ways that you can do that. Uh, number one, uh, improve your homeostatic factors. So the first step that I always tell my clients to take is those homeostatic factors that I talked about. The good sleep, the mindfulness, nutrition, movement, and short bouts of exercise. Are you doing those things? Are you doing them regularly? Are you doing them as well as possible? Are you sleeping six to eight hours of, of six to eight hours a night of good sleep? If you're not, address that right away. Do you have good nutrition? Do you have proper nutrition? Are you eating properly? Are you maintaining your energy throughout the day? All those things. Those are the things you want to go through. Do you have a mindfulness practice? And if not, start that. So where I, I get my clients to start when we're dealing with burnout is you start with those five factors first. And once you have those in order, are you still dealing with stress? Okay, let's look at a couple of other things you can do. Number two, become more positively engaged in your work. So studies have shown uh, quite consistently, and these are just recent studies though, so this is kind of new, that if you are positively engaged in your work, if you have positive engagement in your work, you naturally resist the rise of cortisol. So then you need to think about what are the, what is the strategy I can do to become more positively engaged in what I do? That is again, another, uh, another podcast I could probably do to help you with that engagement and motivation part. So first was, you know, improving your homeostatic factors. Number two is becoming more positively engaged in your work. We also know that positive social interactions can suppress the HPA axis that we talked about and suppress the rise of cortisol. Positive social interactions. So think about how can I incorporate more positive social interactions in my life? If it's, if the stress is coming to you at work, how can I, how can I incorporate more positive, more positive social interactions at work with my colleagues? How can I do it after work with other people? How can I get it throughout my day? And yes, if you have positive social interactions outside of work, it can positively impact 
your body system while you're at work. But the more important thing is to think about how can I get positive social interactions throughout all areas of my life. And the final thing that I want to take a look at is changing your mindset. You know, because while rest, relaxation, replenishment, social interactions, engagement, they can ease the exhaustion, they can curb your cynicism, they can enhance your efficacy. They don't really always, they don't necessarily address the root causes of burnout. You know, you can still face back at the office the same impossible workload, tenable conflicts, reduced resources, and crunching timelines. So one of the other factors that have really, that, that has been found very useful is looking at your mindset. If you know all of that, how can you change your mindset? Now, I did do a podcast earlier on uh, changing your mindset and how you can take a growth mindset, a positive mindset to be more engaged and more happy at work. I would absolutely recommend that you go back and take a look at that, that positive, uh, that, that podcast on creating a positive mindset. And I'll put the notes down in, in, in the notes for this podcast in terms of which one to go look for, or you can just search it up on my site. Uh, studies have shown consistently that having a positive growth mindset can really help. So the four things again, uh, number one is improve your homeostatic factors. Number two, become more positively engaged in your work. Number three, create more positive social interactions. And number four, change your mindset. All right, everybody, that's everything I wanted to talk to to talk about today on about burnout. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. My goal, as always, is to help as many people as possible learn how to improve, transform, and achieve higher performance for themselves, their teams, and their organizations. I would just ask if you like what you heard today, I ask you to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. That helps other people find the podcast and helps me achieve my goal of trying to help as many people and teams as possible to achieve more. You can subscribe to the podcast at our site if you haven't already at invictus.coach forward slash register. Again, that's invictus.coach forward slash register. And you can get regular updates on how we're using neuroscience and high performance skills, tools, and approaches to help people. Teams and organizations reach peak performance and achieve more. Sign up now and receive access to two documents that'll help you achieve higher performance in different ways. One of, them, one of the documents you can select is a summary of the four main ways you can achieve higher performance in your team or organization right now. That document outlines the four places you can look to find up to 25% savings or, or, or efficiencies, cost savings or efficiencies. It's going to tell you where to look and what to think about. Number two, you can also choose to download the six pillars of high success. And this is more about your own personal success. That document outlines the six areas where high performers create daily habits to achieve clarity on their goals, become more productive, achieve more, and frankly, enjoy more success and more fulfillment in life. Thank you everyone for listening this week. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week.